if I'm ever walking through Hollywood and I see those people coming, I am running. Because I am scared to death of being interviewed by these people. I know I'm going to say the wrong thing. Are you glad to be here tonight? If you are, say hello, amen. Hello, Pastor Josh. Say Hillside. All right, that'll work. Um, what if there was a place where you could come on a Monday, uh, first Monday of the month? What if there was a place that you could come and you could get your questions answered and you could ask any question that you possibly could think of and you would not be ridiculed for that question, but we would address the question directly with as much truth as we possibly can. If we don't know the answer, we would say that, but we would have a great dialogue about any question you had. One of the concerns that I have about the Christian church is that oftentimes it feels as if any question that I have, it might be mocked or ridiculed, not only by the people in my small group or the people in the community of the church, but even by pastors or priests or rabbis or leadership of any church. And it seems like I can't ask the questions that I'm really thinking without giving off the idea that I don't believe in God. Like, I don't believe in Jesus, or I don't believe the truths of the Bible, and all of these things. And, and maybe you're here even today, and you're a skeptic, and you say, well, I don't even believe any of those things, or much of those things, but I do have questions about why you believe those things. Uh, it, what, what if there was a place where you could come and get those questions answered, where there wasn't necessarily an hour and 15-minute service as much as a brief talk and a discussion from the Bible, and then a dialogue back and forth through an open Q&A? That's what the hillside uh, is. That's what this once a month meeting is. There's so much more, and we don't have time right now to get into all that the hillside will become and all that we plan, but this is what that venue is. It's an opportunity to discuss some very important topics, some hot topics, some socially conscious topics, some important topics, some would call political topics, definitely theological topics, topics that we are interested in today, topics that we bring up with friends late night over coffee, Sometimes we bring up with parents or friends or family, but sometimes we don't get the answers that we're searching for. The Hillside is dedicated to real talk with real people discovering real truth. That's what we're all about, and tonight that's what we're going to begin with. We're going to talk about the subject of truth. What is truth? How do you know the difference between real news and fake news? How do you know when somebody's trying to mock you on the street corner by pushing a, a microphone in front of your face and trying to make you say, yes, that's right, I'm glad women are able to go to the sun? How can you tell the difference between reality and fantasy, between truth and lies? That's tonight's discussion. And as I speak over the next 15 minutes or so, what I want you to do, if you would, is take note mentally, maybe even jot something down. And, and you might say, well, that's a great answer, but I also have this question. And then dialogue with me as I bring up Matt a little bit later and ask that question. Be bold. I know it's nerve-wracking to talk in front of people, but be bold enough to raise your hand and say, but what about this? And I promise you, I'll give you the best answer I can from the Bible. So tonight is about truth. We've got lots of different topics in the months to come that we have planned. Let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you for the chance to be able to be here today with my friends uh, Lord, many of them uh, I know uh, personally, they are believers in you. Some of them are not. They're here because they're learning uh, about what others believe. And I pray that as you take this opportunity with us today, you would give us an insight into truth and help us to understand it and help myself and my friends to see that we actually can know truth 
we open our minds to it, to you. In the name of God's Son, we pray. Amen. I'm going to read a text. It's a short text, but it's an important one. It's in the book of John, chapter 18. In John, chapter 18, the story is going that Jesus has already been arrested, and he's standing before a Roman governor named Pilate. And Pilate walks up to him, and he doesn't know exactly what to do with Jesus. He's just, um, he's a rebel rouser. Jesus is like a religious teacher. He's not that important to Pilate. Pilate's a Roman. He's used to living in Caesarea. He's used to traveling back to the Roman Empire. He doesn't care about these, these backwoods people of Israel. He doesn't care about the Jews. And now this guy, Jesus, is causing all of these problems, and some people are calling him a king. And he thinks, a king? I know real kings. I know the emperor myself. And so he walks up to Jesus in John chapter 18, in verse 33, and Pilate entered into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, by the way, this is a real place. It's called the Praetorium. You can actually go there to this day. I was there just last year when I was in Israel. It's um, as cities do. Cities get built on top of each other, uh, layer after layer, decade after decade, century after century. So you actually have to travel down into the city of Jerusalem, the old city. You have to travel under an old building, but you can see the stonework of the old praetorium right there. You can actually see, this is really cool, you can actually see on one of the ancient stones an ancient carving by the Roman soldiers because they're in that ancient carving. Uh, they see this all over the Roman Empire. They carved out a dice game that the, that the Roman soldiers would play. And it's there. This is not a bunch of Christians or wacko Jewish Christian people who are religious and say, no, no, like it's historically documented. Like that's where Romans were. This is the Roman Praetorium. This is the judgment hall where Pilate spoke to Jesus. So it's an actual place. And he walks up to this guy, Jesus, and he says, okay, like a judge would to a defendant, okay, art thou the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? What I love about it is Jesus is not nervous in any sense. He's the son of God. And he looks at Pilate and says, the, the king of the Jews, are you asking for yourself because you're interested in following me? It's basically his response. And Pilate, the king, says, me, am I a Jew that I care to follow you? No, I could care less. He said, then who are your followers? And Jesus goes on to talk about truth. He said, I have come and I am here to bear witness of the truth. This is a fascinating moment. So Jesus is speaking to the greatest ruler in all of Palestine at this time, and he looks him in the eyes, and he says, I am the one who has come to bring truth. He says specifically, thou sayest that I am the king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And then Pilate says something fascinating. And something that I hear repeated in our society all over the place. Pilate looks at Jesus and says, truth. What is truth? You see, in the Roman society, they were so advanced 2,000 years ago. They got to the point in higher, uh, the higher elite 
circles in society, they believed that you could not even get to the point where you could acknowledge what truth was. We're there in the American culture today where many people say, well, you can't really know what truth is. And there are a lot of misconceptions and myths about truth itself. And I want to debunk a few, and then we're going to go to questions and answers. Here are some ways we can debunk some, some common myths about truths, truth itself. The first one is this, and it's fascinating to me. Number one, debunking common myths about truth. Number one, I've heard this said, truth is what I've been told. The way I know truth is because that's what I've been told. Now, I've got to tell you, I know some of you, many of you are Christians in the room because this is starting out as a Christian movement tonight. I get that. But I think that Christians have the biggest problem with this one. Truth, I know truth because that's what I was told. They say it this way. If you talk to a Christian, you can say to them, why do you believe that? And many times Christians will look at you and they'll say, because that's how I was raised. I believe that because that's how I was raised. If your basis for understanding truth is because you were raised to believe a certain way and therefore it's true because you were raised that way, you forget that you're using circular reasoning. You believe what you believe because you were raised to believe that, therefore you believe it. That's not a great basis for truth. If you only, I don't care if you're Christian or if you're Muslim or if you're Catholic or if you're Mormon or if you're Jewish or if you're Sikh, I don't care what back, or you're atheist. If you only believe what you believe because you were told to believe it, you do not have a great basis for truth. You have to have a deeper reason for what you believe. Myth number one that people talk about quite often is that truth is what I've been told. That's not true. You can be told all sorts of things. Number two, second myth that I'll get to, there's only four. Truth is what I've experienced. Some people say, truth is what I've been told. That's crazy. Some people say, truth is what I've experienced. No, 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 Josh, come on. That's crazy. I don't believe just what I've been told. I'm a little more intelligent than that. I believe what I've personally experienced. And if I've experienced it, then I know it's truth. The problem with that is it's an ancient philosophy called existentialism. That is, everything that I believe and understand to be true, I believe and understand to be true because I personally have experienced it. And because I've experienced it, it thus makes it true. Well, there, there's a lot of problems with that logically and rationally. Truth is not based upon what you've experienced because we've all experienced different things. Your total sum of knowledge only based on what you've experienced means that you have a very limited experience, which means you have a very limited basis on what truth is. For example, how many in this room have ever been to Russia? How many here have ever been to Russia? Raise your hand. Do we have anybody who's been to Russia? Nobody here has been to Russia. Not one person. So how do we know it exists? If truth is based upon experience existentialism, then how do we know that Russia exists? You say, well, because, um, who, because, um, who, because I've seen it on film. I've seen Russia on television. Well, I've seen Asgard on film. <laughs> and it looks awesome. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather go to Asgard than I would Russia. But just because I've seen it on film doesn't mean it's true. You see? Well, I've, that's what I've experienced. We haven't, we haven't been to Russia. How do we know it's there? Well, I, I know it because other people have told me that it's there. Well, I know heaven exists. You say, how? Because it's, I know somebody who's been there. His name is Jesus. 
See, we can't base our truth on, on our personal experience because our personal experience is limited. We have to have access to truth beyond our personal experience because there's more truth out there than simply what you've lived. Can we agree on that? I think we can. Okay. So, a couple myths about truth before I get on to the answer. Number one, myth about truth. Truth is what I've been told. Number two, myth about truth. Truth is what I've experienced. Number three, myth about truth. Oh, I like this one. This is huge today. This is huge in American culture. Myth number three, truth is relative. What is true for you is true for you. What is true for me is true for me. And then there's a lot of truths. Two plus two for you equals four, and four plus four for me equals 12. And that's, that's what I try to tell my boss, so he pays me more, you see. Truth is relative. It's said in ways like this. You live your truth, and I'll live my truth. Here's the problem. There are not multiples of truth. There is truth. And there is error. There is right and there is wrong. You say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. Okay, then fine. I'm going to live my truth. My truth is that I'm six foot six. Do not disagree with me <laughs> because that is my truth. I'm six foot. In fact, I'm not only six foot six, I'm a basketball player. I'm clear. Don't laugh at me. That's not very nice. I'm a gifted, skilled um, handler of, uh, of the basketball. And, I, and I, am, I, I play hoops with all of my basketball buddies. That's what we call them, basketball players like I. And not only that, here's my truth. I have $5 million in the bank. And in fact, I'm going to go over to Wells Fargo tomorrow where I have an account. That's my truth. And I'm going to walk inside and I'm going to say, hello, teller. And they're going to say, hello, strange man. And I'm going to say, I would like to withdraw $4 million and a half dollars from my account. And they'll say, can we have your information? And I'll give them my information. And they'll say, sir, you don't have $5 million in this bank. And I would say, that's your truth. <laughs> my truth is that I have $5 million here and I'd like 4.5. Well, they would, they would cart me off right? The men in white coats would come and get me. I would be in trouble. They would, they would prescribe me all sorts of medications. <laughs> okay, see, here's the problem. Truth is not relative. There is truth and there is false. Last myth. Truth is what I've been told. Myth number one. Truth is what I've experienced. Myth number two. Truth is relative. Number four, three. Here's myth number four, and then I'll, I'll close. Myth number four. Truth is what society agrees upon. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is stupid. <laughs> it's called wiki reality. And Stephen Colbert actually dealt with it in his first episode of his former show way back when I was young. <laughs> wiki reality. You know what Wikipedia is? Wikipedia is a dictionary that you can go on and um, an, an encyclopedia that you can go on and you can edit yourself. And you can go on and you can change it. Now, they have people that go on and check, fact check to make sure it's not, you know, just false. But you can just edit yourself. But here's the crazy thing about Wikipedia. If enough people in the world agree that something is true, then they'll just, they can change an entire page to say that's true. That's what happened. It's called wiki reality. 
And so, and, and in a lot of ways, that's silly. We think, well, that's, that's not, I mean, what if we said, what if we said um, the Civil War began in 1761? What if we all agreed that the Civil War began in 1761 because we didn't like the idea that it began in 1861, so we all raise our hand and we agree, 1761, that's when the Civil War. Well, it doesn't matter if we all agree upon it because we all agreed that we're wrong. We're wrong. If society is the arbiter of truth, we have to ask ourselves, how many times did society get it wrong? If truth is found because most, look, 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 if truth is found because most people in a culture agree upon it, then that means slavery was okay 200 years ago because society agreed it was okay. So why is it wrong now? Well, it's because it's always been wrong. Even when 90% of Americans said it was okay, it's always been wrong. Truth is not based upon society's acceptance of something. Truth is truth. It's always been truth, always will be truth. And so one of the things that we have to understand as people of intellect is we have to think through what is truth. And here we see Jesus interact with a man who is literally a leader, a pillar of society, not only in Palestine, in Judea, in Jerusalem. He is a pillar of the Roman culture. And he looks at Jesus and says, truth? What is truth? Some people can't see truth if it was staring them in the eye. Pilate was that kind of person. Jesus himself staring Pilate in the eye. And Pilate's like, I don't, I don't get I don't, I don't get it. So, how do we know truth? How do we understand truth? How do we find the truth? Okay, Josh, I get it. How do we find truth? The answer is one word, and that's where our Q&A is going to spend its time. The answer is, here's the answer I'm going to give you. Are you ready for it? The answer is revelation. How do we find truth? Objective, real, foundational truth. How do we find it? Here's how we do it. Revelation. Now, with this answer, I give you two presuppositions, especially if you're a skeptic. You need to understand I'm owning these presuppositions. There's a presupposition, number one, that there is a God. Excuse me, I'm a Christian. I got to start there, okay? So, there's a presupposition there is a God. You say, I don't believe there's a God. We're going to answer those questions maybe in some hillside discussions down the road. But this is presupposition number one. There is a God. And number two, that God is benevolent. He's not an angry God who wants to destroy us all, throw lightning bolts, all right? So with those two presuppositions, if there is a God, and if he is a God who is benevolent, he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to show himself. And so revelation, revelation. How God reveals himself to us and the end result of revelation is the word truth. When God reveals himself through these various ways, you can identify truth. You can stand on it and say, I don't know about everything else, but I do know what is true. I know this is true. No matter what anybody says, I know this is true. Why? Because God revealed himself in this way. How does God reveal himself? Several ways. He reveals himself through creation. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows its handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech. Night unto night it shows forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where the voice of the heavens is not heard. Wherever the sun comes up in the east and, re- and falls to the west, mankind can see that someone must have designed this thing. Creation demonstrates the revelation of God, but not only does creation do it, history does it. History itself shows us that God has revealed himself throughout man's history. He has intervened in man's history. He has stopped tragedy from happening over and over and over, but it's not just creation and history that God has revealed himself. There's another way. God reveals himself through the mind of man. One of the ways God has revealed himself is by coming into the mind of man and giving them ideas that warp and change and, and strengthen and advance society. Look at what Tesla did. I just watched the documentary on Netflix by, about Tesla. Did you see that? It's a great document. Did you see that? Oh, it's amazing. You think, where did a mind come like this? The mind was given to him by God. God reveals himself through the mind of man. I'm, 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 I'm out of time. How does God reveal himself? He reveals himself through the written word you got to think about it this way. If there is a God, and that God is benevolent, he wants to express himself so that you, his creation, can know truth. He does it through creation, through history. He does it through the mind of man. He does it through the written word, and he does it one last way. He did it through a person named Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he was the perfect revelation of himself to mankind. With all that said, that primes the pump. That gets us set for the dialogue that's about to happen. So I'm going to ask Matt to come on up. Let's give Matt a round of applause. Let's pull the lights up a little bit. We're going to have a discussion based on what we talked about. Hopefully, you were thinking of some questions. Honestly, I hope some of you will challenge me. I hope you're not too nervous about that because the questions that you have are questions that others are having. Maybe they're watching online. By the way, you might need to answer some of these questions by friends and relatives that are not believers. You say, well, how do I ask, answer these questions? If you have the question, you might have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a relative that has the same question. And so ask the question, get the best answer you can, go home and help them understand what is truth. How you doing over there, Matt? Oh, you got a mic? Check one, check one. I do. Yeah, Matt, I got to tell you, I was supposed to wear that T-shirt. It's for you in the sound booth. Yeah, they got me a T-shirt, but I was so cold. How many of you, you're like so cold right now, not in here, but out there? We're not used to it. It's like, what, how cold is it? It's like zero, zero degrees out there. That's what it feels like. And so I wore, I wore my sweater because I love the Golden Knights and so do you. And then I, I put on this jacket. It's not my jacket. Who, whose jacket is it? it thank you. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's my son's jacket. Why are you laughing at me? Yes, I have a big boy, and I'm a small man. And I said, Jonathan, that's a nice jacket. Could I wear it because it looks really cool, and I'm going to be with young adults, and I'm supposed to be cool. Do I look cool? Yes. Um, I would ask to wear it um, at the next event. I oh, think I'm going to put myself on a weight loss plan. Oh, yeah, you're going to wear it. Gonna... I think you'd have to lose more than weight, honestly. I, it's a very, I'm a very small person. No, he's a big deal. All right, all right, all right. Now we've got a chance <laughs> to get into it. Let's get into questions. Based on what we talked about today, any questions that you want to bring up, now is the time to do it. Again, this is our first time to do it, so it might be a little hickey on how we, uh, hinky, how, hickey, I said hickey, how we do this. So raise your hand at this time, and our guys are going to get you the uh, mic, and we're going to jump right into it. Raise the lights just a few more degrees so I can actually see the people that are a- asking the question. Okay, uh, stand up and give us your name and your question. Uh, my name is William. 
What's up, William? Not much. <laughs> so I've, um, you said there's two criteria. Yes. One is that there's a God, and that two, that God is um, benevolent. Uh, yeah, he's, he's benevolent, which means he's a good God. So what I said was not two requirements, two presuppositions. What I'm saying is anything that I said about truth, is there is a presupposition that those things are that those things can be a reality. Okay. And uh, and it's really hard to get to those other things unless you believe those two things. Go sure. ahead. So I have two questions. Yes. Um, what is God then? What is God? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I recently was watching Star Wars and got the feeling that God was a force <laughs> that flows through us all. Yeah. Um, there are different views of God. That's an Eastern mystic view of God. So George Lucas did not create that idea. Um, of God. Um, but what do I believe as a God? As a Christian, I believe from the Bible that God is an actual person who has always existed. So He is eternal, an eternal being who always has been, always will be, and lives outside of time because He created time. Uh, like, a, like a man who made an aquarium might live outside of the aquarium, even though the fish who was born and raised in the aquarium may not understand what it is to be outside the aquarium. The, the man who made the aquarium fully understands because he is the creator. So God created this world and created time. He is outside of it. Okay. Follow-up? Yeah, my second question is, um, what about like the story of Isaac where God told him to sacrifice, uh, or he told Jacob to sacrifice his son Isaac? Wouldn't you say that was not, you know, benevolent of a yeah. God? Yeah, so God tells Abraham to kill his son. And you're saying that doesn't sound benevolent, doesn't yeah. sound very nice. I mean, I feel like a lot of the stories in the Old Testament were kind of... Yeah, um, let me be very clear. That question is far too difficult. Sit down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, ki I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I'm messing with you. I'll, I'll answer a little bit, and then I'm going to pass it on to Matt, okay, because I'd love to hear his thoughts. Um, I actually read this this morning um, in my... In, in, I was reading some scripture early this morning, and, uh, and I, let me be honest with you, William. Every time I read that passage, I'm like, oh, jeez, man. Like, okay, okay, I got to get my mind around this. And I've been reading it for years, years, my whole life. And it's a weird story, man. God comes to Abraham, like the one guy in the whole world that likes God at this moment. That's the way the story seems to be written. There's one guy, he likes God, and God likes him. And God's like, I'm so glad you like me. Keep following me. And by the way, I'm going to give you a son. And he's like, a son? That's fantastic, a son. And then he gives him a son, and God says, I want you to kill your son to prove how wonderful you love me, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, a, that's not a good thing. So, well, can you explain, like, the difference between love and truth? Would you say that they're the same thing? Yeah, I will. I was, I, was, I was leading you on there with that question. So, let me answer that question about Abraham and Isaac. As I struggle with that, and I've read it over and over, I've seen this, this truth, and a lot of people look at that, and they're like, oh, God is testing Abraham. He wants to see if God really love if Abraham really loves God. I don't see it as much of a test of Abraham as a foreshadowing of what is to come. So for me, it has, it has very little to do with, here's the application. You read that story, if God asks you to kill your child, kill your child. 
if God asks you to give up your job for God, give up your job. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think the point of the story is God comes to Abraham and says, sacrifice your son. Go up a mountain, carry wood on your shoulder. When you get up there, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. The moment he raises his hand. By the way, human sacrifice is not something that is uncommon in religions during the time. Human sacrifice was a normal thing for a God to ask the people to do. So he goes up there and thinks, okay, if that's what my God is asking me to do. And then God stops him. And he says, no, Abraham, I provided myself a a different sacrifice. What do I think was going on there? I think God was foreshadowing like any good literary writer would do. He's telling this story is related to a later story. What story? Where another person would be crawling up a hill with wood on his shoulder and he would be sacrificed. Where another father would send his son to be sacrificed on a mountaintop to die for the sins of mankind. Only this time, the father would not stop the son from dying. This time, the father would send the son to be the savior of the world. And so what I believe God was doing was saying, Abraham, Abraham, I'm a different kind of God. I don't want you to sacrifice for me. I will sacrifice my son for you. And, and when we see it that way, we see, yes, what a benevolent God. Yes, what an incredible God. You say, but Abraham was confused. I mean, that doesn't seem very nice to confuse Abraham. He didn't know all that was going on. Yeah, sometimes God puts us through confusing situations that don't make sense at the moment. But when we get through it and look back, we say, oh, I can see. You are a good God, and I just didn't know the whole story. So that would be my answer to that question. Matt, what would you say? Yeah, no, that's a tough question to deal with. Um, I would say a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament, and um, I know you dealt with that specific story. If I could just deal with, um, there might be other questions. We could think of other examples from the Old Testament. Um, a lot of times we can look at, we can read the Old Testament, and we read it through, we, everything we read, all the information we take in, we read through lenses that we've been conditioned with. We read it through our American culture, and um, and I, I think a lot of times we hear stories in the Bible and we read it through the context that man is generally good because we want to believe that. And I think when we start there, uh, that's a dangerous place to start, that we deserve something. And so this is, I'm answering a little more generally than this one specific instance, um, but I think this will apply to a lot of questions. Uh, we, according to the, the scriptures, we deserve nothing but, but to burn forever in a place called hell. This is what the scriptures say. And so we need to, we, and it's a hard truth to, to take, and that's another topic for another time, but we need to start there whenever we look, I think, first at, um, we need to stop and go, man, we don't deserve anything. Um, so I do want to start with that. And then secondly, there are a lot of things in the Old Testament, um, again, because of cultural context that we don't understand about, and you touched on this a little bit, um, that we can misunderstand Again, in American, con- um, slavery is one of those things, and that's a, another topic for another day, but we can look back in, at the scriptures and look at something like slavery and go, like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're, they're letting that happen, they're condoning that, whatever. Um, but when we look at, okay, what slavery was back then, it, it looked completely different. Um, for example, the Israelite conquests. Uh, that's a huge one. Genocide, yeah. And, and we look at that. Yeah, you seem to have theocratic, um, theocratic uh, God-approved genocide in the Bible. God says to this tribe, go kill all those people. Then they go and kill all those people, and you're like, oh, so God wants us to kill all sorts of people, right? Yeah, and so uh, two things of that. Number one, um, again, starting with, okay, man is not good. Maybe if God is saying 
to kill someone, maybe he's he's right in that. If he is God and we are man, if we do, do deserve punishment. So I'll say that. But number two, addressing some of the genocide, um, just since you brought it up, um, there's a great book I read uh, last year, and I can't think of the title. Um, you can't. Good job. <laughs> it, it's, uh, but he, he goes into... Uh, dealing with these these cultural contexts and basically and he goes along into the, the language of the Hebrew and and um, I'm not sure how how much you study this or even if, a lot of people don't agree on this um, but I don't I don't believe even the Israelite con- conquests were complete genocide um, and so there is a lot because of our control what Matt is referencing William is that um, the translation uh, from the Hebrew into the English gives the idea that God is literally saying go in there and slay every child and woman in there the translation gives that very clearly, and as an English reader, you're like, what in the world? But when you go into the original Hebrew and understand the context that it was coming from, the several times, I think it's about four times that that states very clearly, you're like, what is going on? But when you study the original Hebrew, what you get is that it's actually saying go in and wipe out the civilization. They understood that meant to take in those who were weak and take in those women and children. Uh, it's not a, It's not a... It's not a great answer because it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult passage, and they're not easy to understand. What Matt was alluding to the very first part of his answer was this: is that God knows the entirety of the story when we don't know the entirety of a story. Um, the way to state that would be like if you saw the end the end fifteen minutes of a horror movie and you see all these people and they, they're gathering up against this one poor guy in a mask, and they're beating him to death. And you're like, what this poor guy do? Well, you have to go back and watch the first hour and 30 minutes and realize that guy murdered like 20 people, <laughs> okay? And you're like, oh, look at this poor guy. The idea is, unless you know the full story, you don't understand the righteous retribution that's taking place. I don't know that that's a great answer for me, and I don't even know that his answer is a great answer for me, but those are the answers that are often given. Mm-hmm. It's okay. a great question, William. Very good. Someone else? Yeah, give him a round of applause. Great question. By the way, for those who are like, wow, that was a great question. Did you plant him to do that? No, I don't know William. He did that on his own. Good job. Question? Yeah, good. Yeah, question over here. Okay, just to piggyback off of that, it kind of sounds like that's going back to the whole idea of society's truth. Yes. And at that point, that to me sounds like truth being relative to everyone. So how can you explain that where maybe to Abraham, sacrificing was okay because that's relative, like you said, because that's what all the cultures was doing. But it just seems like, how, how do we know once we interpret it in t- things into the original text that that's true? You know, how do yeah. we know which is true, the actual uh, cultural truth or the translation truth, which, which is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I would say Jesus was addressing this issue when he discussed divorce, right? So something very similar came up. A bunch of religious people came to Jesus one day, and they're like, should somebody divorce their spouse for any issue? And the the question they had, because it was a male-driven society and very religious, very litigious and religious, it was a bad place to live, trust me, especially if you're a woman. And during that time, the law was you could divorce your wife for anything, like anything, like quite literally, some rabbis interpreted that if she burned the soup, you could divorce her. And in that society, the woman had no recourse. Like that was it. She couldn't make a living. It was just goodbye. And it may, basically, a man would do that so he could marry another woman. And so, uh, so G- they asked Jesus this, can a man divorce his wife for anything? And he said, no, God hates divorce. And then he said this. He said, look, you need to understand 
Divorce was not part of the original plan. And so Jesus goes back to Adam and Eve. Jesus goes back to the garden. And he says it wasn't the original plan. But Moses gave a writing of a bill of divorcement, not because it was right, but because of the hardness of your heart. That'd be Jesus' way of saying, because of your screwed up culture. And because it was a screwed up culture, if a, if a woman did not get a writing of a bill of divorcement, there was danger of violence upon her life. She could literally, maybe in a male-driven society, be tortured or killed to get rid of her so he could marry somebody else. And so Jesus said, but, but the point being, Jesus brings it all the way back to the Garden of Eden and says, you need to understand, from the very beginning, that was never the plan. Divorce was never the plan. Genocide was never the plan, you see. Um, death and, and capital punishment and, and God, all of these things, this was, none of it was never, never the plan. You say, then what changed? I'll tell you what changed. There were a couple people in a garden, and God said, don't eat the tree, and they said, we do whatever we want. Sin came into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, so we have a, a screwed up world. And so, um, no, it, it was not the case, and there is no cultural relevance, but what Jesus is saying is, Jesus is saying, look, that was not the plan from the beginning. This was not me that brought this devastation it was mankind. And this goes to your answer a moment ago. This is why we would say that mankind is, in essence, not good, but bad. We constantly choose the wrong thing. And, uh, and so, I hope that answers that question. Good. Follow-ups. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, good. People are asking questions. This was what I was hoping for. Very good. All right. So, you said that the answer was revelation. So, what I'm wondering then is, and then you mentioned in God revealing an answer or revealing something to someone, giving them the mind, and you talked about Tesla. So, what would then, how do you respond to someone saying, well, this was revealed to me as the truth, ah, yes. and then somebody else saying, well, I don't accept that, because that's your truth. Fantastic. Okay, so how do we know truth if truth is not relative, though truth uh, can be revealed through the, uh, uh, through the mind of man. Here's, here's how. Because you have to understand levels of, of trustworthiness. So what do I mean by that? For me, the prime basis of all truth is a person, and after that, it's the written word of God. So whatever Jesus stated is primacy truth. So if something else disagrees with what Jesus says, I'm going to be like, okay, you say this and Jesus says this, I'm going to go with Jesus because he's the guy who resurrected from the dead. So he's truth, you're not. Jesus literally said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So I'm going to go with Jesus above that. If Jesus did not talk about it specifically, I'm going to go to the Bible. And I'm going to say, okay, your opinion is this, but the Bible says this, therefore I'm going to go with the Bible. Now, what if somebody, what if God reveals through the mind of man something about um, conductive electricity? like he did with Tesla. Well, if the Bible doesn't say anything about conductive electricity, I'm going to look and be like, awesome, what did God reveal to you? This is why I'm not closed off to science. This is why I'm not closed off to the great minds that God has given mankind because I believe that God reveals himself through the minds of men. This is true in poetry. This is true in literature throughout history, throughout every culture, that God reveals himself through the mind of man. But where the mind of man disagrees with the written word of God, which is the mind of God, I'm going to have to be like, ah, that's a great idea, but I'm going to go with the Bible on this. Does that make sense? What would you say? You want to follow up on that? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase that's often said, um, the Bible doesn't contain all truth but everything the Bible contains is true. That's great. That's good. 
<clears throat> and so, like, like Pastor Josh just said, we are, um, obviously, as Christians, we don't just say, well, whatever's in the Bible, that's what I'm going to believe. And Every- that's the only thing I'm going to believe. Exactly. Right? And so, um, the, the question is about what are the criterion of truth is the terminology. And, and those things that Pastor Josh was mentioning, experience, um, um, things that you've heard being passed down, um, what we're not saying, we want to be very, very careful to not say, uh, those are all wrong. You can't trust any of it. Oh, that's a fantastic point. Just because you've experienced it and it is ex- existential truth doesn't mean it's all things that you've experienced are not true. Or just because you were taught it growing up doesn't mean all of that is not true. What we're saying is that should not be the sole basis for truth. It's not at the universal basis for all truth. Just because you were told it, just because you've experienced it. No, there are other forms of higher trustworthiness of truth. Uh, but, uh, but if you've experienced it, you were told it, we agree upon it, sometimes we can find truth in those ways. Good question. Good. Somebody else? Yeah. Here it comes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you mentioned the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. My ha- I have a really big question about that. I was told back before I was a Christian that God knows everything and he knows exactly what's going to happen to your life from beginning to end. He knows exactly what you're going to do, exactly what you're going to say. Now, my question is, if that's the case, then how come he didn't, did he know that what Adam and Eve were going to do in the beginning? Great question. Somebody asked me that question uh, even right before the event tonight. Um, The question, let me sum up, is if God already knew everything that would take place, then why does he allow it to play out the way it does? I would state it in one way, and Matt might state it in a different way, and that's okay. The way I would state it is this. There's a complete, there's a need to understand the difference between the foreknowledge of God and the dictatorial sovereignty of God. What I mean by that is the foreknowledge of God means that God knows what's going to happen ahead of time. Before it ever happens, God knows everything. The dictatorial sovereignty of God is a different concept. That is, God makes happen everything that's going to happen. I don't believe that God has this dictatorial sovereignty, that he makes happen everything that's going to happen. I believe, though, that God does know everything that's going to happen. So, you might say, well, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and he puts a tree in the garden. Why in the world, if he puts a tree and he knows they're going to eat of it, he knows the future, why does he put the tree in the garden? And the answer is because God didn't want to create robots. If God wanted to create everyone and demand that they worship him like a dictator, you must worship me, then he would have not given you any semblance of a free will. He would have not given any semblance of choice in the garden. But instead, he wants you to choose to worship him. He wants you to give your life to him. He wants you to follow him as Lord and master. And so he gives you an opportunity to say, no, I won't follow you so that when you do choose to follow him, it actually means something. So yes, he absolutely knew what Adam and Eve would do, and therefore, because he knew that Adam and Eve would fail, and sin would enter the world, and sin would pass upon all generations, and death would come, the Bible says that God, before the foundation of the world, before the world ever began, the Bible says he already had a plan to save mankind through the death of his own son. The Bible says it this way, He was slain before the foundation of the earth. So God always had that plan. Because of his foreknowledge, he didn't keep us from sinning. But because of his foreknowledge, he knew he would and therefore provided a sacrifice, his own son. Does that answer your question? 
Very good. Good question. What would you say? Oh, man, that's, that is a, probably out of all questions about the scriptures, uh, you might agree with this with me. That is one of the hardest questions to answer in a soundbite. I was a youth pastor um, out in Texas before I came out here, and I spent, um, what was it, like three, four months with my teenagers on Sunday mornings just about this because they were curious on it because it's a, it's a huge uh, question. But my short answer is, is, would be pretty much what he oh, said. Oh, I got it right. He's, got he it. agreed with me. <laughs> He's like, a short answer. I was like, what is it? Oh, what I said. Okay, I'll take it. All right, very good. Yes, next question. Uh, it's not so much a question. I'd just like to say something. I've known the Lord since I was four years old, and some people would laugh at that. they say, you're, you're a kid. You can't, you can't understand. But uh, I've learned that perfect faith does not require perfect understanding. Uh, my parents led me to the Lord. And I just, I'm thinking of an old movie where Tom Cruise says, you can't handle the truth. And uh, you'll learn. Can if I you just stop you Christ. and say that that movie's a fantastic movie? It's a great movie. I, I've learned if if you will just have a little bit of faith, uh, you can't handle the truth. God is too good for you to wrap your mind around Him. I, I do think I do think discussions like this are absolutely important and essential, um, and I think incredibly good. So we need to keep doing this and. You might leave here today and be like, oh, man, they didn't really answer the questions that I had to my sufficient. Look, we, we're just humans. We're not great at answering questions. We're going to try our best. But I would say this. I love the statement of faith sometimes can be simple. One of the most beautiful passages in all of the Bible is when the Bible says all these children were running up to Jesus. And the disciples of Jesus were like, shoo, get away. The master doesn't have time for you, you know. And, uh, and Jesus stopped them. And the Bible says rebukes his disciples and says, no, no, no. Let the little children come unto me. Don't forbid them. And he said, for such is the kingdom of heaven. These, the simple faith of a child is sometimes what God is, is requesting of us. Now, that does not mean you have an excuse not to study and to understand rationale and to understand logic and to understand science and to understand history and to understand literature and to understand languages. But it also does mean with all of that, there does need to be an element of I believe. I have faith. Good. Yeah, I, I want to comment on that, if I could, very quickly. Um, I think it is very important, that last distinction you made. Um, we, when we, as Christians, talk about faith, we're not talking about believing blindly. Blind belief implies we don't, we don't really know. Um, we, we see a contradiction, but we're just going to believe it. Uh, it. It may imply we don't understand it all right now, but if there's a if there's a contradiction, we don't just say, "Well, uh, this is what my church told me," and it's not that. the The word belief and faith in the scripture, when it, the Bible says, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved," uh, that it implies faith. It implies the word faith in particular. It implies belief. Um, that um, how do you say it? it? It's a belief that leads to action. It has to do with obedience. And so when we talk about faith... Yeah, sometimes we think that... Sometimes we give off the perspective that faith leads to laziness, and it doesn't. Oh, I believe, therefore I don't have to think. No, no, no. Biblical faith is a faith that leads to action, not just action to help others and serve the poor, but it's an action to search my faith, to ground my faith, to know my faith. That's really what we're doing here. We're trying to develop that. That's why we have these small groups from the hillside that we're going to be developing and invite you to be part of, because we want you to question your faith and strengthen your faith. We believe the more you question your faith, the stronger your faith is. 
And and I will say this: at some point, I will, well, for the rest of our lives, we're not ever gonna um have concrete knowledge. We have we we learn things we know. Everything we know is from our um, from our experience. All these things that we listed. This is how we know things. And so, like, well, I, I don't know for sure. Well, faith is belief that leads to action. At some point, you're going to have to make a choice. Well, I don't have all the facts. You're never going to have all the facts. If you're waiting to believe, to trust God, to trust, as Pastor Josh said, the person of Jesus Christ, the revelation that he's given, until you have all the facts. Well, I'm just, I, I met a guy on an airplane one time. I was sharing the, the gospel with him. Very traveled man, um, very successful man. I was just asking him advice and, um, about business and everything, and he told me, I started talking about religion. He said, now I've just traveled the world so much. There's so many different things out there, and I'm just not ready to make a decision. The man was 50, 60 years old. I just kind of want to challenge him. When are you going to make a decision? Um, at some point, you're just never going to have all the answers. So faith, uh, belief, is faith is belief that leads to action. It's obedience to Christ. Yeah, I think that's a great point. All right, so another question? We have time for another question? Yes, hello. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. Um, my question really is, um, since I'm still on a beginning path as far as the truth of seeking God's truth, um, what is your perspective, Pastor Josh, as far as choices of uh, the book to follow? Because there's so many versions out there, and um, I had a conversation with this with a couple people in my circle, and which is the most truthful books because these have all been translated by man or passed down from that person's word to Constantine. I'm not, I don't know my history, but I just want to hear it with a quick kind of explanation. Why, what, what are we following? Like as far as the book. So religious literature, you want a quick, quick answer um, of the history of <laughs> religious, religious literature. You, you are talking about Christian literature. You're not speaking of the, the Quran or, or the writings of, okay. Uh, of Christian literature, um, the best thing to do is find a readable version in your language. Um, so, uh, but if you want the most trustworthy, you're going to have to go with um, the most uh, accurate historically, and that would be you would have to learn Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And I'm not trying to be funny. I really am not. That, that's where you're going to find the most reliable. So, um, if, if somebody who is German said, I really want to study Shakespeare, if they're going to really study Shakespeare, they're going to either need to get really good translations from English into German, or they need to go and learn English. I'm not saying that as an English Christian, that if you don't learn Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, that you're never going to know the Bible. I'm saying that if you, you're, you specifically asked, what's the most trustworthy? Well, you've got historical documentation that you can trust the veracity of Scripture in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Now, if you say, well, I'm not going to be able to study those and learn those, okay, then what you can do is you can find a trusted translation in your preferred language. Um, and there are many trusted translations that you can, you can follow. Um, I, I personally like the New King James Version. I like that. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time getting into translation philosophy. I believe your preferred is the ESV, right? The English Standard Version? I, I like that. Yeah. Which is, which is the preferred that you... Um, man, to me, they're all, there's so many good ones. I use them for different ones for different, uh, just to, that's to, a good answer. Different ones for different things. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, I've taken, uh, what is it now? Six semesters, seven semesters of, of Greek and one I'm on, I'm going to going to go into my second of Hebrew right now. And what I've learned from all that to, to, to talk about what you, um, were just saying the differences between the, um, original languages to the English 
um, compared to the differences between the different English translations, it's it's, it's so minuscule. Um, so a lot of times we can make up such a big deal about the differences within the English translations. And it's just, to me, if I've learned anything, and this is just, just me personally, if I've learned anything from my studies in the original languages is that it, it almost just doesn't matter what version, like just, just read a version. There is such reality there. Now I will say this too, if it, depending on what you want to do, um, devotionally, sometimes I really like to read paraphrase type versions. If you're new to the faith, um, there's a difference between a Bible study and just learning the stories. And if you're going to study the Bible, get a good translation. If you want a good, um, if you want just to learn the stories of the Bible, then I, w I always suggest to our new Christians, get a paraphrase. A paraphrase of the Bible does not claim to be a translation of the Bible. It literally is paraphrasing it. It's telling you the story in story form. And those would be things like um, the message. The NLT is my favorite. The NLT, for the New Living Translation. And those are good story Bibles. They tell you the story of the Bible. And then if you're like, ooh, I really like that story, I want to study it more in depth, then you can get a good translation like the New King James Version or the ESV, something like that. Good question. Yeah. Uh, yes? Well, sure, why not? If somebody has to run to work, they will. Okay, so, um, sorry I'm sick, so I sound weird, um, but... <laughs> I was hoping you would apologize, because you sound so weird. I was like, um, is she sick? <laughs> She's so weird. Um, so, I have a question about children um, who, are, who have cancer when they're like three, or they have like just a terminal illness, and um, I was speaking with somebody who said... That's why I don't believe in God, because why would you put that on a child? And it's a valid question because it doesn't make sense, but I know that God has a plan for everybody. And sometimes I do see kids who, like in the commercials and stuff, who, are, who have cancer, and I'm like, why, what, yeah. why, you know? But um, just if, if you have a, like, I don't know, like, if there's something in the Bible that says something about that, like I know that God, he has a plan for everybody, but like, no, I get it. People have illnesses yeah. and terminal illnesses, like, yeah, like, yeah, like, why, how, why is that part of the plan? I guess, or I don't know how to. No, it's difficult. It's the question historically and traditionally has been, why do bad things happen to innocent people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And it's a very valid question. I preached an entire sermon at this church um, on the subject just a few months ago, called "Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People." And if I could remember what I said, I would tell you right now. <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, you were there. And it, I, it didn't help, apparently. <laughs> if I could throw in three, three quick sound bites. I, I'm just teasing. There are some answers to that. And we might actually do a whole night on that. That'd be a fascinating be night. Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, that'd be a great topic. But Matt, why don't you answer that? Yeah, um, three quick, uh, quick answers would be what you said a minute ago, God chose free will. So when we think, man, why doesn't God just take all the bad things that happen out of the world, just, just take it all out, just cut it off? He could do that, and we would all be gone. <laughs> the world would be empty of humans, because that's why there's, there's bad things that happen, diseases, um, everything. I'm not saying that just if someone's sick, that means... Does it, does it make sense what he said? So, like, okay, from this point forward, I want God to stop all bad things. Okay, draw the line. So, like, draw the line. Like, what bad things? Like, how about the bad things you do? Um, and how will he stop those bad things? 
and when will he stop those bad things? Because if he does it categorically, you say, well, just other people's bad things, not mine, because mine are not as bad. Um, we get very, very subjective, and that's a valid point. If God has given us free will, he's going to allow those things to take place. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, really quickly, two, two more short answers. Pain points to paradise. This is uh, an answer that C.S. Lewis highlighted a lot. He, he quotes, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I really believe if God took away all the, um, in fact, the Bible says in Isaiah that God creates evil. And if you've ever seen that verse before, um, I remember I, I did a paper on that verse in my freshman year at college because I'm like, what in the world is this talking about? And I really believe it's talking about the natural disasters that we would say. Um, that's not, not something that somebody did something bad and then now it's affecting somebody else. Natural disasters, if you know what I mean. God, I really believe God, uh, think of the curse when, um, when these things first start happening, when natural disasters first start happening, consequence of the curse, um, consequence of man's sin, yes, but not to punish us, not to just make us hurt for no reason, but to point us to paradise. Pain points to paradise. And then to, uh, he, he mentioned a second ago, eternity makes the difference. There, we, we don't know the full story, and I won't say any more on that because you already hit that so well, but um, yeah. These are great questions, and this is the type of dialogue that we want to have every hillside that you come on a Monday, um, the first Monday of the, of the year uh, or of the month, and, uh, and this is the conversations that we want to continue. This is why we would invite you to join us in small groups every Monday night. I believe is the Mondays, Madison, they're going to be meeting, and uh, so we're going to talk about how to sign up for that in just a moment, but let me say this. The essence of what I want to say as we close is this, and I really didn't plan how to say this, so here goes. In no way do we want to give the perspective that we are the experts up here and you come with all your questions and then you'll leave and we'll have all your answers and, and, and you know, you'll be the best Christians ever. All, look, all this is is two guys and maybe some other guys will have come up and out and some, maybe some ladies that come up and out and we're just going to do our best to have a dialogue with you. And sometimes you're going to have better answers than we're going to have. And sometimes you're going to have questions that we're going to be like, I don't know. And we'll study it together. But this is my promise to you. Our promise to you is, remain, is to remain humble. Our promise to you is to remain biblical as possible. Try to go to the scripture and see where the scripture uh, speaks. And to speak truth. I mean, we, we really do believe in our, in, our, in, our, um, in our motto there. Real truth, real people, real talk. And, uh, and if we don't know where we're going and we don't know what to say, we'll tell you. And we just want it to be an open dialogue. And I think what will happen is that we will all grow as humans. And if you're a Christian, you'll grow in your faith, I think, stronger than ever before. Matt, you want to say anything as we close? Yeah, no, I agree on that. Um, I was mentioning oh, I did all these semesters of Greek and, and Hebrew. And that's and I don't say that to say I know everything about it's Bible translations. It's so intimidating. I, I say, and the reason I study and continue to study is because we're still figuring still it learning. out. And, um, and all we're asking is for you to learn figure us. it out with us yeah and um and this is just the beginning and so you, you're like i didn't get my question answered like like that's okay we're just starting the conversation and so come talk to us uh we'll google search it with you <laughs> and <laughs> we'll figure it out 
Yeah, and not only that, we've got these, like we said, every first Monday, but um, Matt's going to give you some information on how you can join a smaller group, because in a large setting like this, we really look at it like lecture lab in, in the university setting. This is like a lecture, and you're going to maybe get a question, but lab is where you really begin to work it out. And we want you to get together with six, seven, ten other people on a continual basis every Monday that you possibly can, and really work this stuff out. Say, you know what, pastor mentioned this, and and, uh, and Matt mentioned this, or I heard this, but I don't know. What about this? And you've done your own research, and you're coming in. And the whole, whole point is, in those groups, you become stronger. And then we, throughout the years, become even stronger as a large group. So I'm excited about that. Matt, what do we do now? Let's thank Pastor Josh for coming oh. up here and speaking. Glad to do it.